0: This morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Let me uh, do this. Let me start off by doing this. Let me define the word invincible because I'm going to use it in a moment. Invincible. You probably know that word. I know that youth, when you're growing up and you're young, you think or believe you you are invincible. Uh, The word invincible simply means incapable of being conquered or overcome. Incapable of being conquered or overcome or too strong to be defeated. Too strong to be defeated, okay? Invincible. And when I think of uh, invincibility, or even you might think this, because obviously when you're young you think you are, but then you get a little bit older and you realize, no, okay, I'm not invincible. But we might think of superheroes as invincible. Superheroes as invincible, right? Like Superman. we might think of him as invincible. But when we really think about that, that's really not the case. See, Superman, we look to Superman. You're all familiar with Superman, right? Please tell me that all in here know who I'm talking about. Okay, Superman, right? Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. And Superman was a, or is, or whatever, is a great guy, and he would save people that were in danger. He would bring them, in a sense, salvation, okay? Not spiritual salvation, but a salvation in that sense, right? Here's the problem. As mighty and powerful as Superman was, right? He could take bullets. He can to jump a building in a single bound, he's faster than a locomotive train, right? Because I guess that was the fastest thing at the time when the Superman originally came out because now it's like faster than a locomotive train, so what? But yeah, he's faster than a locomotive train. He was amazing, but this little uh, rock called uh, kryptonite. kryptonite, Kryptonite from his home planet, I guess, if he was exposed to Kryptonite, what happened to Superman? Weak, man. Weak. And if you look at all of the superheroes that have been created um, by us over time, they all have some type of, of weakness, something that will render them useless. They are not invincible. Even like I was thinking about like, uh, Thor, you know, that's he's been in the, the movies, right? Thor is, wow, He's a, almost like a god, right? Unless he loses his hammer. I mean, think about it. If Thor doesn't hold on to his hammer or it stays away too long, then he, his powers are diminished. So every single one, even one, I didn't know this, but Wonder Woman. You may not have known this. Wonder Woman was incredible, but I guess if a man shackles her hands, then she loses her power. Yeah, it's a whole feminist thing that was being pushed at the time, and so this is what was kind of written in there, that if a man shackles that woman, then she loses her power. It's odd, I understand. But every superhero has a weakness, they they are not invincible. Therefore, listen, this is the only point I'm making, the salvation that they might bring is not invincible. It's not invincible. It can be overcome. Superman might save you, right? But as the enemy comes on you, if they happen to have some kryptonite, you're going to be in trouble. Your savior won't be much of a savior then. But listen to me. God is invincible. God is absolutely invincible and therefore the salvation that he brings cannot be overcome. Huh? Now let's read the text. Romans chapter 8 beginning in we're going to begin in verse 28 for context and we're going to read all the way to verses 30 to verse 39 even though we're not going to cover it all this morning. This is going to be another two-part sermon, beginning in verse 28. And we know, Paul says, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and Those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who? And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to review again. And I do this because we learn through repetition. It's important that we understand the flow of Paul's discussion and that maybe we've missed something that I've said before and maybe I'll say it again and it'll click for you. So in verse 28, Paul promised his Christian readers, we just read it, that all things work together for good. And as we've already discussed The good here is the amazing good of being conformed to the image or likeness of Christ. That's the good. Okay? You with me? Right? We've already covered that. And then in verses 29 through 30, Paul revealed the basis for that promise that all things work together for good, which in the last two sermons I have referred to as the unbreakable chain of of redemption, the unbreakable chain of redemption. That's what we see there in in verses 29 and 30. Those God foreknew, here it is, the unbreakable chain of redemption, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified will in the end according to God's purpose be fully glorified or made just like Christ so listen if you are a christian if you are this morning then it is because at some point in your life god according to a saving purpose for you having already foreknown and predestined you called you he called you to himself through the amazing message of the gospel and as a result of that divine summons you became aware of your desperate need for a savior and you turn to and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And when you did, you were immediately justified or made right with God. But guess what? Your salvation did not end with your justification. No. Rather, all whom God has justified have also been placed on the sure road to glory. That's what's being communicated there. I'm just, I'm just trying to say it in another way so it'll come at you in another way and it'll really sink in. So then God has determined beforehand that all those whom he foreknew or chose for salvation will be ultimately glorified. And so the Christian's sanctification, we talk about this a lot, the Christian's sanctification that has already begun in this life and is progressing over time, right? We are, over time, slowly but surely, being transformed into the image of Christ. That begins now, in this life, for the believer, right? Okay? That will eventually be brought to completion by the Lord. Every Christian will be entirely conformed to the image of his Son, the resurrected and glorified Christ. Therefore... Based on the sure purpose of God, every believer can confidently say with Paul that God is working all things together for their good or his ultimate goal for them, which is christ likeness. Right, so, that, beloved, is everything we've covered so far. I mean, I'm just reviewing it for you to kind of catch you up. Are you ready? That's the context. And then in verse 31, Paul says this. Look back at your Bibles. What then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say to these things? In other words, Paul is saying, hey, let's stop. Let's just stop right here and take a moment to reflect on or think carefully about the amazing things I just told you. And Paul helps us do that now by asking several rhetorical questions in the verses that follow, verses 31 through 39. We've dealt with rhetorical questions before because Paul likes to use them, but by way of reminder, a rhetorical question is not asked to gain information, okay? It is asked rather to make or drive home a point, to make or drive home a point or encourage the listener to consider a viewpoint. Okay? That's a rhetorical question. So, in your outline, you will see this note. We're going to focus on four rhetorical questions in this section, and we're doing that so that we may not have any doubts concerning the invincibility of the believer's salvation. There are some who doubt that. There are some who doubt that, and some teach that, that it can be overcome. It can not. And so I hope to make that very clear to you this morning. Those four, four rhetorical questions are, if God is for us, who can be against us? Second, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Third, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Fourth, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, you ready? All right, the first rhetorical question. The first rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is one of those verses that people are in the habit of removing from its context. That is from Romans chapter 8. What do you mean, Jeremy? I mean this. It has been used by sports teams and business and military people to insist that they have a distinct advantage over their competitors or opponents because God is for them and on their side, so they will not and cannot be defeated. <laughs> is that what Paul is? Is that what Paul is getting at? That's what I mean by ripping it or pulling it out of its context. Hey, if God is for me, nothing can be against me, man. What are you talking about? Listen, that is not at all, that kind of thinking is not at all what Paul is trying to communicate here. He, when he wrote this verse, and, I, and we say this over and over and over again, but understand that the true meaning, the true meaning, the accurate meaning of any text, Or what the author meant when they wrote it. That's what we're trying to figure out. What did the author mean? Not what I want it to mean. Not what I just think it means. But what did the author mean when they wrote it? And that can only be determined by properly understanding it in its context. So, when we consider or take the context into consideration... That when Paul put forth this rhetorical question, we see that it was in light of the preceding verses or God's plan or purpose to redeem us, to redeem us. It's in that context that he says this phrase. So, God's purpose to ultimately bring all those he foreknew to a state of glory. That's the context in which he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So listen, it is in the context of that that Paul speaks about God being for us. And since God is clearly for us, that is, for the believer or all those whom God foreknew or selected beforehand for salvation, then, based on that, we could certainly ask, who could possibly who could possibly come against the believer successfully when it concerns their salvation or you might say it this way who could possibly prevent us from reaching our ultimate destiny of being glorified that God has predetermined for us who Can anyone You see the context here? You see why context is so important? Well, of course not. No one could stop. Not if God is for us. And he absolutely is. He absolutely is. Well, someone might ask this, how about the devil? Can the devil, can the devil successfully come against us in regard to our salvation? Can he undo what God began? And that I understand that question, it makes sense because there is no doubt that Satan would love, he would love to undermine God's saving plan and somehow keep it from being fulfilled, right? Wouldn't he love to do that? Wouldn't he like to see that happen, to undo what God is doing in your life and has done in your life? Right. And listen, Satan, the devil, is certainly a a powerful and crafty being, right? Right. Can we agree on that? He's powerful and very crafty and tricky. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the apostle Peter calls the devil our adversary, our adversary. He's our great enemy or opponent. And he says, Peter says, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But let me ask this, beloved. Is Satan, the devil, as powerful as he is, is he any match for God? You see what I'm saying? Is he any match for God? I mean, there's some weird philosophy out there about, you know, the, the good force and the evil force. This kind of thing is even presented in Star Wars. Like, there's two competing forces, the dark side and the, the side of light. And it's even, you find that philosophy in some religions. Listen, it's ridiculous. There is God! There is God! He has no competing forces. One writer wrote this. Thank you. Amen. Yes. He's not like, man, I hope I can beat the, beat the evil back. I hope I'll win. What kind of God? I mean, I, that's not the God of the Scriptures. It's not the God of the Bible. One writer says this. The situation Paul conceives of is one in which God is for us, Since he has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified us. This being so, who can be against us? To that question, there is no answer. No one! All the powers of hell may set themselves together against us, but they can never prevail since God is on our side. And listen, the devil is not our only enemy, right? He's not our only enemy. We also have this sinful world and our own corrupted flesh to regularly deal and battle with. But, but, since the almighty and sovereign God is for us, then all our enemies, although they may appear uh, quite overwhelming at times, right? They can be. Our flesh can be quite overwhelming at times. They will never be able to overcome our salvation or successfully prevent us from reaching the end that God has determined for all those He foreknew. In fact, God is so incredible and so powerful that whatever may come against us, whatever God takes and forces to work towards or contribute to our ultimate good. God is truly unstoppable, and therefore our salvation is invincible. It cannot be defeated by or overcome by anyone or anything. Do you believe that, beloved? You should, because that's what the Word of God teaches. And it should give you hope, hope, confidence, real biblical confidence. God will see you through to the end, and no one or anything will prevent that from happening for every true believer in Christ. You remember... uh, well, let's now look at Romans chapter 8, verse 32, and we'll look at the next rhetorical question. Look back at your text. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, here again is a verse that I have heard taken out of its context and then used to suggest that this is a promise that God will give us things like all the material blessings that we might ask for, such as a bigger house or a nicer car or even physical well-being or healing of all of our illnesses or diseases. That is, of course, if we claim those things by faith. This is how I've heard this presented. Because, they say, doesn't the text say that since he gave us his Son, will he not graciously give us all things? Beloved, that isn't what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about it. It's not even close. And again, every time a passage is ripped from its context, then we can make it mean whatever we want it to mean. But it means what it means in its context. So let me show you. The fact that God is for us, that is, those he foreknew, is most greatly and most greatly demonstrated in the fact that God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. For what? So we can have a nicer house? For our salvation. For our salvation. God, listen, God is totally totally committed to his saving purpose. Could you have any doubt? He's all in, beloved. He gave his very son. So what was it that God did not spare his son from? What was it? You probably know, but let's just go over it one more time. He didn't spare him from the cross. From his sin, Bearing and sacrificial death on the cross from the holy wrath of God against sin, from the judgment against sin that God's justice required. And beloved, that very wrath was poured out on God's own beloved and righteous Son as he hung and died there on the cross in the sinner's place. As their perfect substitute. That's that's what God did not spare his son from. Do you remember Romans chapter 3? We were in there a long time ago in that chapter, and Paul says in verse 23: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. How Through the redemption, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. He put His Son forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And it's been some time since we've talked about that word propitiation. Let me remind you of what it means. It means the righteous demands of a holy God were fully, completely satisfied. Propitiation at the cross god's wrath against the sin of his people was fully and completely appeased propitiation paul also says in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 you know this text for our sake the believer's sake he made him god made christ to be sin he took on all of our guilt He knew no sin. He was sinless, the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one. Why? So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And I think it's worth pointing out, even if you already know this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was not an unwilling victim in this matter. Right? It wasn't as if he's like... Father, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, man. I No, I don't want to. Yes, you're going to do it. No, he was a willing participant in our salvation, quite willing. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. He's identifying with that crucifixion through faith. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Christ lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by faith in who the son of god who loved me and what he gave himself for me he gave himself for me paul says it again in ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and what Gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her in love. So now listen. Here we go. Paul's argument in verse 32 is basically an argument from the greater to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser. I'll explain. Since God has done the most difficult and costly thing, this is the greater. That is, he didn't spare his own precious son, but rather he gave him up for us. That is, for our salvation, that he planned out and purposed to take place before the world was ever even created. Then it is quite impossible, impossible, that he would not do that which by comparison is lesser than the giving of his own son which is graciously give us anything else that pertains to or is necessary to bring about the consummation or finalization of our salvation or our final glorification. You understand what I just said? Here's a couple of other, of other uh, pastors who speak on this and Bible scholars. They say, This, since God gave the greatest sacrifice of all, they're saying the same thing I just said, his own son, he will certainly not hesitate to give believers all other things pertaining to and leading to their ultimate sanctification, that is, their glorification. One writer says it this way, if God, again, did the greater thing, that is, giving up his own son, Will he not do the lesser? That is giving us what we need to be sustained in our salvation. What we need of faith and what we need of obedience and what we need of sanctification. He goes on God made the supreme sacrifice in order to provide our justification. Will he not then do what is lesser to sustain that to glory? That is the point, and it is a great point. It is a great point. Listen, beloved, let me put it this way, because for me, this is just how I learn. I like to hear things in many different ways, and then I I finally get it. Is it reasonable to think that God would willingly subject his son to the horrifying death, sacrificial death that he underwent on the cross for our salvation, but then not do whatever else is necessary to see that salvation through to the very end for all those he foreknew. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Or is it reasonable to think that God would make the sacrifice of his son invalid by refusing to freely give us anything and everything we need to bring that salvation to completion. Is it reasonable? It is not reasonable. Anybody who would suggest that a true, born-again believer could lose that salvation or not reach the destiny that God has determined for them, the reason he saved them in the first place, is greatly confused. They have not read what the Apostle Paul says concerning our great salvation. No. God graciously gives us all things, all things, all things necessary for our perseverance. Right? I know some people, I've talked to people and, you know, they haven't come to Christ yet, but they're, they have a legitimate concern. If I come to Christ, if I come to Christ, can I, will I make it? You know I mean? Can I stay in this thing? That's a legitimate concern. But beloved, if you come to Christ, it's because God has called you. And if he's called you, it's because he foreknew you and has predestined you. He, he will get you there. He will get you there. Now, of course, he does that by telling us to persevere, to continue in the faith. Where do you think you get the ability to do that? Where do you think that comes from? From him. From him. He gives us all things, all things necessary for our eternal glory. All things. You see how how different that passage looks now when we read it in its context instead of ripping it out of its context? Beloved, we are. We are utterly safe. In the hands of God. You know what utterly means? Completely. Fully. Not, a, not 99%. We are 100% safe. We, who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are 100% safe in the hands of God because our salvation from start to finish is entirely the merciful and sovereign work of our invincible God. He leaves nothing, listen, he leaves nothing to chance when it comes to his saving purpose for us. And no power that would attempt to undo or nullify our salvation stands a chance against our God, who foreknew and summoned us to himself. Next week, we're going to cover the next two rhetorical questions, and that is, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What a question. What a question. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I know probably many of you are very shocked right now because it's 1130. (laughs) For those that are new... I have a bad habit of going over, and typically we're supposed to finish at 11:45, which sometimes it happens, and most of the time it doesn't. But today we are finishing early. We're finishing early. And for those of you who have been in our growth group, I just wanted to give you guys a moment, some time to actually implement what we're learning in our growth group. Do you remember our assignment this week? I wanted you to have no excuse for why you couldn't stay a few minutes later, because I know, Pastor, how can we stay? You keep us so late? We're so hungry. But now I have let you go, I'm about to, 15 minutes early. And I am hoping that you might uh, take advantage of this time and use it to minister to one another, encourage one another, ask how each other is doing, ask how you might pray for them, maybe talk about the greatness of our salvation, maybe something you even heard in the sermon, maybe just having that, that reminder, our God is invincible in the salvation he gives to us Cannot be overcome. Even when things look bad for us, okay? And I've said this before. There are times in our Christian lives where, man, I don't, I'm struggling. Turn to this passage. God will bring you through. He will get you there. He is the one who grabbed you. He is not going to let go of you. He's the one who planned out your salvation. He's not going to leave it to chance by leaving it in your hands. And if salvation was in our hands, beloved, it would not be utterly safe. But praise be to Jesus Christ that our salvation is in the hands of our invincible God. Therefore, it is completely and entirely safe. So take this time this morning. Greet one another. Maybe there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Why don't you find out? Ask them. And then talk to them. Talk to them about our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the riches of it. Father, I just pray that we would really uh, just meditate on this, the truths, even just the few that we looked at this morning. Father, since you are for us, and that is so clear, or you predestined us, foreknew us, you you called us, you justified us. And one day, according to your great purpose for us, you will glorify us. You are in the process of bringing us into full and complete compliance with who Christ looks like. We will bear his image fully, Father. All these things are, are what make it true that we can know with certainty that our salvation is absolutely and entirely secure. If you are for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. The answer is implied it's no one. Not the devil, not our own flesh, not the messed up world we live in. No one can successfully come against us and overcome this. Great salvation or prevent us from reaching that great destiny that we even talked about this morning, where we will rule and reign with our king, who will rule and reign over this earth in its entirety in his kingdom. No one can prevent that from happening, not for those who are yours, the church. Father, if you did, if you did not spare. If you do not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, all those you foreknew, will you not? Would you withhold any other good thing from us? Would you not give us all other things? Of course, that's the idea. That's what Paul is saying, Father, and we're so thankful. Anything and everything that is necessary for us to reach that goal you have for us, that you are bringing us to the consummation of our salvation, you will give it. You will give it, and you do. You will make us persevere to the end. You will give us the faith when we are weak. You clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you keep that clothing on us for all time, for all eternity. You graciously give us all things concerning our ultimate sanctification. Father, we are so grateful. And Lord, I pray for those, as I do regularly, those here who who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Might Might even just the hearing of the judgment that is to come as we read in the Scripture this morning. Or what the Word of God says, that for those who reject Jesus Christ, their destiny is not one of glory, but of wrath, of judgment, of utter darkness, of gnashing and weeping of teeth in a place, Father, called hell. Lord, might you work even now in their minds and hearts that they would run to Jesus Christ. They would turn to Him. They would recognize Him as their Lord and Savior. They would confess their guilt before You, God, that they are worthy of that wrath that was poured out on Your Son. Might they receive Jesus as their perfect substitute on their behalf and thereby be saved, justified, and set by Your sovereign hand on the road to glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.